0: everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Film Seizure. I'm Jason Oliver, and with me are my two co-hosts, Jeff Arbuckle. Say hello, Jeff.
1: Hey, how's it going?
2: And another guy.
0: What's his name? Chuck? Say your name, Chuck.
2: What's up? It's Chuck Moore. Coming to you live from my house.
0: C.W. Moss.
2: C.W. Moore. We rob banks. (laughs)
0: Um, Yes, today's episode is 1967's Bonnie and Clyde. Um, I kind of picked this one because I'm going in down this, in this new Hollywood rabbit hole right now. And, um,
1: I don't think any of us noticed Jason. Tell and this movie this has been, about. is, is, is,
0: is heavily featured in the things I've been reading as the potential like first or one of the first films of the new Hollywood era. Um, the, The era of movie making where the directors and the auteurs took over the studios and had basically carte blanche to do whatever they wanted because the studios were in such financial disarray and the people who who led them um, didn't really know. They were so out of touch with what people wanted to see that they really kind of turned over the reins to the director and um that's where you had the kind of the rise of the uh the Coppola's and the Spielberg's and the um De Palma's and such so this movie while it is regarded as one of the first of the new Hollywood it's also regarded as one of the last of the old Hollywood it's a transitional film and um and the reason for that is kind of A few different reasons. Um, it still had to play by the studio's rules. It, it really almost didn't get made. Warren Beatty had to really fight to get this made. There's a story that he, um, he got down on his hands and knees to, and kissed Jack Warner's feet to allow him to, to get this movie made, which everyone says happens, happened except Warren Beatty. (laughs) Um, so, so yeah, it's, it, it, it's interesting. This, this movie, I saw it for the first time. Oh, I don't know. Probably in the late nineties, early two thousands. It's not a movie I grew up with. It's not a movie I have particularly any nostalgia for. It's not even a movie that I particularly like a lot. <laughs> it's fine, but, um, I find, I find its place in history interesting and Where it clashed with the culture of the day, and the the things that it kind of the doors that it opened in in movies and in cinema in the United States, I I find all that very interesting. And that's mostly the the kind of color and flavor I want to bring in this episode personally while we talk about the movie. Um, So with that, I'm going to turn it over to Jeff or Chuck. If you want to maybe give your personal history on this film and general thoughts
1: um yeah so this is probably one that i saw roughly around that same sometime in the 90s i'm sure um i um yeah it's kind of interesting because um i like this movie um however um i think that there's some i i think where i kind of want to kind of talk about this is um you know this movie gets you know was kind of highly thought of as being kind of the catalyst for things getting much more violent on yes. in movies and tv um of course you know here 55 years later doesn't seem that violent um right not, not you know it's like seeing this in the last violent movie that i saw which was well i mean even compare this to maybe something like silence of the lambs and even though silence of the lambs has a lot has a violence in it there's a lot of implied kind of psychological violence in this in that movie that i think is a lot harsher than this movie but like you know i mean not that long ago i saw the new evil dead movie this ain't got nothing (laughs) on that you know and even that i felt Wanting more out of it. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly, Uh, that's exactly right. Because you have to kind of
0: take this movie in the context of what came out. Yeah.
1: Um, and you know, I think that there is a, I think there is also an interesting, like, mirroring of, like, when this movie came out versus what it's representing of Mm -hmm. depression era outlaws. Um, I would also say that, um, if we were to use red letter media's scale of based on true events type of thing, this would not rank very high, I don't think. I mean I like <laughs> the the basis, of course, these are real people. All right. But there is romanticization while at the same time not really. And that's one thing I'm gonna talk about later as I watch this. Cool. Um I do think that the five performances in this are all excellent. Mm-hmm. Very, very worthy of each one of them being nominated for an Oscar, which is very rare. Um, in fact, the only other time I can think of this happening is "Everything, Everywhere, All at Once," where every single top performer got an Oscar nomination. Um, and uh, it was it was fun seeing uh, Roseanne Arnold's or Roseanne Connor's uh, mom in an early role. Estelle Parsons.
0: Oh, Estelle Parsons. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's, um, a, I would, I would describe her as a handsome woman.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good way of describing it because like she seems very, she seems like a very realistic. Like I ain't surprised that she's married to Gene Hackman in this movie. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. Uh, but no, I, I, I generally, I like this movie. Um, I think that the, what i find myself most attracted to in a physical and in a very kind of connective way is faye dunaway in this movie Mm -hmm. i think she carries a lot of this movie um and she's likable while i think bonnie probably was not a likable person in real life probably anyway we'll talk more about that because this also i think connects back to our western month a lot Oh, sure. Absolutely. It does. So Chuck, I'll stop talking. You go.
2: Okay. So I don't have a whole lot of history with this movie, if any, at all. A lot of it looks familiar. Um, I think it probably played on TV when I was a kid. I can imagine it was on like Turner, one of Turner's channels or something like that. So I'm familiar with it, but not, I don't think I've ever sat down and watched it. Um, I thought it was fine as well. I don't, I don't think it's a great movie, but I get the historical significance and, and how it impacted film. And maybe as Jason mentioned, New Hollywood stuff, that's all very interesting to me. So I might be able to add a little bit of color on some of these things. Um, the movie's pretty straightforward. So I don't think there's a whole ton to dissect about it itself necessarily like the story um but yeah i also dug the performances quite a bit for most people
1: yeah chuck did had you i mean you'd seen like the final scene where they get gunned down right it was oh, uh, yeah. maybe the most familiar part because i feel like that gets shown in clip type of situations often
2: that yeah that and i think the scene where he he robs the bank but it's not a bank anymore i think it has been shown in places i don't know why but i'm like i've definitely seen this before um that almost felt
1: like a like a mel brooks moment
2: it is uh,
1: that's interesting
2: you bring that up
0: because that that, that's that's a lot of the um the at least at least paul and Kelp specifically talks about the juxtaposition of the of the comedy with the seriousness of it right because a lot of people in the theaters, I guess, at the time when they saw this movie, thought it was a comedy. It played like a comedy for them. The um the the kind of hillbilly flats flats and scruggs music uh, with the old timey cars and the and the botched bank robberies and all of that, right? Um, the impotent lead played by Warren Beatty, like it all felt spoofy to a lot of people. Right. And then the violence hits, right? And and that. I think is why people had such a strong reaction. And one of the reasons at least to why people had such a strong reaction to the violence is because it was almost like a rug being pulled out from under them.
1: Yeah, it's uh, that is kind of funny because that's, that's one of the things that, um, yeah, you talk about Pauline and kale. Um, that's the thing that Roger Ebert always hated about, um, David Lynch is he doesn't know what he's supposed to feel watching a Lynch movie. And that's like one of his biggest no-no's. It's like, well, what am I supposed to think? What am I supposed to be doing here? Um, and so, yeah, I mean, but I can kind of understand that, right? Because like, yeah, there's a lot of stuff in this where you kind of chuckle along. Um, and you know, and it's like, and I guess I'll go ahead and, and talk about it. I, I say that, you know, some people say, well, this is like, it's a, um, uh, it's like uh you know it 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 glorifies this you know uh it romanticizes these two characters i mean yeah i guess like in a romantic like on a true romantic level it's like the way they meet is not the way they met in real life and um some of the stuff about like it seems as though bonnie is just bored and looking for although if you go more with that they ran in similar circles, like in real life. It seems like she probably wasn't just bored. They just figured out that they would rob banks together or something like that. But uh, I don't know too much about the historical side, but I, but I do find it interesting that they never are very successful in this no. movie. No. Um, even when they successfully rob banks, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's Gene Hackman who directly says, you know, there wasn't much there or, you know, or isn't much there. And he, I think Gene Hackman's the one who says it's tough all around or everywhere it's tough or something like that. Talking about the depression. So it's like they, they don't have big scores. They don't try to show them having big scores. I mean, they have enough money where they're dressed nicely. They never buy a car. They just steal cars. You know, it's like they're not this life that they are living is not a good one it's and weird
2: I, to me oh i'm sorry
1: no i was just and the last thing i was just going to say to that was that it, to me it doesn't seem glorified at all or romanticized um you know i mean billy the kid sure looked like he had a much better life in pat garrett and billy the kid than bonnie and clyde do
2: yeah i think the romanticizing thing like people Criticizing it for that doesn't make sense to me because the people of the time during the Great Depression were rooting for Bonnie and Clyde. So, so taking that same perspective in the movie makes a whole lot of sense to me to put you in like the position of the people who are going through the depression and rooting for these people like they're, they're not Robin Hood exactly, but they feel like Robin Hood, you know, they don't take from the people, at least in their minds
1: yeah i mean there's absolutely pointed out scenes where you know like a a meaner villain would have shot the guy in the bank who says yeah we 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 failed three weeks ago you know a, a lesser you know you know i i'm not sure who at that time would have been
2: yeah i mean they put they made they made clyde out to be Nonviolent, unless he had to be. And then once the ball started rolling, is when things got kind of out of control.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I would say it's kind of funny because, you know, 15 years later, uh, Warren Beatty definitely, definitely plays a real bad villain in a much nicer way with Bugsy. And it's kind of funny where it's like, he's, he, you know, he's in Bonnie and Clyde and he's in Bugsy and, um, in Bugsy, he, that is the romanticized version of a pretty ruthless guy. Yeah. And he's likable in that, you know, in a way you feel sorry when he gets gunned down, but, it, but in real life, it's probably for the best that he didn't make it. Uh, but in Bonnie and Clyde, He's kind of a lovable loser in some ways. Um, you know, where they, they're, they're not making off with big, with, with big hits uh, at the banks. So I don't think that
0: the movie was criticized for romanticizing the violence so much or even romanticizing them so much as it was criticizing the, the filmmakers for not. For not giving anyone a moral center. For not for for not um I guess I guess there is a romanticization there to some degree. But
1: Well certainly to this point in time is to this point in time, part, yeah, point the in time like these
0: these types of stories, Bonnie and Clyde, even Bonnie and Clyde stories, um, that were that were veiled as Bonnie and Clyde movies, but were named different characters and had different types of setups and plots, but they were Bonnie and Clyde stories that were getting around Film code, Hayes code stuff. Um, they, they always, they always portrayed the Clyde character as someone who was cornered, who had no choice, who, who, um, was, uh, you know, just doing what he had to do, right, to survive. And in the end, he, he, he made a moral choice that redeemed him, right? So to not have that in this movie, whether it's romanticizing them or not, it just tells a more an immoralistic story, a story without any any real um, moral, I guess. Right?
2: So I guess you kind of reap what you sow. I don't know if you can relate that definitely to morality, but
0: but but, but sure, is, there's a consequence. Yes,
2: I mean that's what moral tales are all about, right? Is like. So maybe characters don't have morals, but the story is a moral kind of story, right? Like a what are those I mean
0: it isn't it isn't. I, I think I think it just kind of appeals to what you want to pull out of it. It doesn't really tell you it doesn't really tell you to think any specific way, I don't think. Um because like Jeff said, they are buffoons. Uh or maybe that was you, Chuck. They they're they're really like not heroes. It's hard to to romanticize them when they're when they're not really very good at what they do,
1: but the only the only person who <clears throat> I don't think is a buffoon in this or who isn't played exceptionally broadly is Bonnie,
0: yeah, but she's but she also kind of
1: just she kind uh, of falls into all she of that. she has
0: her moments too right um but uh <laughs> but i guess i guess you know what 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 they kind of represent is this and i guess and i guess it's kind of like what the movie natural born killers tried very badly to also convey is a sense of fame right and what that means right like like everybody loves um you know f- fame and glamour all right and uh and what does that mean in the context of this movie what does that mean in the context of 1967 you know, a time when Andy Warhol is talking about everybody having their fifteen minutes, right? So it's like it's it, it's appealing
1: to an anti-establishment mentality, which is what I was saying about like it's it's the '60s in a way, kind of reflecting some of that of that era. You know, the 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 Depression era gang, not gangsters, but uh, outlaws. Hmm.
0: And, um, and it scared the old curmudgeons, right? Sure. It scared old Hollywood. It scared it scared everyone's parents, right? There's, it's like these are the types of movies that are getting made now, you know. And and yeah, it's like there is a sense of oh no, this is what it's going to mean to be a hippie or to be an anti-war protester to- or whatever was going on, you know, in the late '60s. It was a volatile time. So, a movie like this is looked upon by the establishment as a match.
1: Yeah. Well, I, you know, I was kind of sitting there thinking it's like, you know, in a way, this movie kind of also gives birth to some of the seventies exploitation era, where, you know, the anti-hero and the, you know, and, um, there's two things going on in 19. Well, in the latter half of the, of the sixties, there's a movie like this and there are movies like, um, You know, the, the biker movies. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and those, the Peter Fonda biker movies. Yeah. No, no, no. I was talking about like biker gang movies. Well, yeah. Like the, I'm I'm not talking. No, no, no. With the wild one. Yeah. I'm, yeah. yeah, What that started earlier in the sixties. But by the time after this movie, you get to movies like, you know, where the biker gang, isn't the peaceful guy seeking america going across the country Mm -hmm. it's the raping and murder they're they're almost played like vikings you know kind of raping and pillaging the peaceful town easy Easy rider can can kind of take some of the credit for that as well um i mean we should probably talk about at some point i don't i don't think easy i think easy rider is trying to to buck against that well the biker
0: movie was dying though well before um, before easy rider it gave the biker movie new life. So, so by that extension, everyone was looking to squeeze as much juice as they could out of that genre.
1: Yeah, but I mean, like I would say, the earlier, earlier than Easy Rider, the biker gang movies that would come along in the early '70s matched more of the mid '60s, where you would have bikers driving around with Nazi paraphernalia on. Yeah, that's not Easy Rider it's just that hey easy rider hey people want to watch biker movies again sure but like the the tone of the movies is not easy rider it's it's the opposite and easy rider kind of bucked against that by saying no this is what the real counterculture movement is about trying to find the good and as opposed to well, I mean, I don't know about all that. Most of that movie was like
0: they didn't half of them didn't even know what they were making when they were making it. It just kind of got lucky. But
1: well, no, but I mean, but like the, the whole the whole. <laughs> I don't think there's of, a
0: whole underlying message under it, really.
1: Well, there is kind of the seeking the America of their, you know, but like there is kind of a, a seeking America kind of aspect to that. But it Looking did. But it, the but reality it, of but it
0: was a movie like this one. Where people like Bonnie and Clyde, where people w- saw themselves in it, sure, right? They sure. saw they saw they saw something um, about themselves, about their state of being, about state of society that they could glean and 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 feed them,
1: right? Sure, yeah. Um. So, and it's kind of funny too because it's not too long after this movie, where a lot of things change economically. And where you really do start seeing that kind of separation of middle class to upper class, uh, you know, and it's like, you know, you see a movie where, where the people robbing the banks or pulling off these, you know, these kind of crimes, this high larceny basically is in a way seen as kind of almost likable people or at least ro- people you can kind of root for. And and you're worried about that, and yet, <laughs> just a few years later, you start shifting. Uh, I mean, you end up snowballing a, a, uh, a, a something that ends up creating a lot of disparity between you know in the same type of situation where it's like people become desperate, you know, and they yep. and they need to do something basically for survival, which. They kind, I mean, Clyde kind of makes that point in this movie where it's like, you know, it's like, Hey, we can't, this is just what we're good at right now. But when the depression (laughs) ends, we'll go and do something that, you know, it's like, yeah, he's kind of bullshitting, but at the same time well yeah see, they are stealing money instead he's of definitely getting- bullshitting because you know
0: the depression isn't what drove them to crime it, no. it, it, it's, it became the excuse right
1: sure absolutely yeah. absolutely yeah. and but at this but in this it doesn't really feel like that it doesn't no. really feel like that they are making an excuse out of the depression they're just Hey, you know, isn't it cool that I've got this gun? And she kind of touches it like it's his penis, and then he goes <laughs> and uses it, and then doesn't use his other one, and doesn't use his real penis. Right. What is the damn
2: point of the impotency and impotency in this movie?
1: I'll tell you. Tell me. I'm <laughs> serious. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm serious not. too. I, I, because I was trying to figure out. It's like was was Clyde Barrow really impotent? No. Okay.
2: Um.
0: No, he was not. Um. At least. He may he may have been bisexual. Um, the, the, that was another thing I was going to
1: ask about too. Was
0: the, here is a here is I'm trying to make this as short and concise as possible. Like the his um, penis. the writers, yeah, David Newman and Robert Benton, <laughs> the writers of this movie, they um they really they were inspired by the French New Wave. they were inspired by Truffaut, Godard, when they wrote this movie. They were writing it. They wrote it for Truffaut. They're like, we want you to direct it. They begged him, begged him, begged him until he finally gave in and he said he would, he would direct it. But he still wasn't really feeling it. He'd already kind of gone down that well with a few films like Shoot the Pl- Piano Player and things like that. So he, um, he actually gave it to Warren Beatty. He said, you should check this out. Um, and Warren kind of, you know, he, he asked, uh, David and Robert for a copy of script. He called him up, said, I'm coming over. Truffaut said, you got a got a movie for me. He picks it up that day and he starts to read it. Well, they were getting really nervous about him reading it because they had been turned down by everyone. And the reason that they got turned down was because the script was too transgressive. Bonnie, uh, not Bonnie, sorry, Clyde was, was bisexual. There was a menage a trois with him, Bonnie, and CW. It's the only way he could get erect is if CW was in the mix basically right um, and they really played all of, around all of that very French <laughs> wasn't gonna fly in the US they when when um, the writers asked Warren Beatty what page he was on he said he said I just started or I'm on like page 15 or something like that well they were like well, call us when you get to 25 that was the scene with the menage and, um, and he called him back and said, I see what you mean, but I still want to do it. Well, he did want to do it. He just didn't want to play Clyde that way. Um, and Arthur Penn, who Warren Beatty eventually got to, signed on to direct, he didn't want it either. He's like, look, we're dealing with eno- enough as it is already. The violence, you know, these bank robbers, you know, you know, not, not really having a moral center or, or a or moralistic character to root for you know it's like we we can't throw in homosexuality and expect not to lose our audience right it's just too much for people to handle so um so they took it out but the compromise was to make Clyde impotent um and so it just doesn't doesn't really kind of work does it it's like either stick with it or um or don't have it the fact I think that they allow him to, um, have his, like, <laughs> his sex at the end, like after, after the poem is published and he's truly famous, you know, now he's, he's able to, to get erect and, and consummate his love with Bonnie. I just feels, it feels like so unsophisticated against yeah. the rest of the movie, you know? <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, that's why it's there. It's there because, even cw's even in the room right it's all it was all in the script they just had to to just tone it down just enough to to one you know get it made and number two for warren to play the role
2: wait where was cw in the room when they had sex finally they were out in the you middle of uh, oh field.
0: no i'm i mean like he sleeps in their
1: room oh okay. yeah, yeah 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 and, the, when, and, yeah, and bonnie they're...
0: and bonnie has a has a very uh a very seductive if you will reaction to his tattoo as well
1: yeah well yeah yeah, it's like that's the those there's a lot of implied
0: things happening there well
1: yeah because it's like it's is it most definitely implied multiple times and actually shown multiple times that it seems as though michael j pollard and faye dunaway are the couple in this you know, or yeah. at least the the side couple right in yeah. front, right in front of Warren Beatty. Mm-hmm. Um, like there there are times where they touch each other and it's like that's a thing going on there. Yeah. Like she's I, not and getting I, and what I do she think wants that her, works. Right. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I, I, it absolutely does. They have a really interesting relationship because they very rarely interact directly verbally to one another. Mm-hmm. Yet they physically interact with one another and and it's kind of funny because it's like the first time where you see that they're more attuned on the same wavelength is <laughs> the the funniest thing i think happens in the movie is when is when cw decides to park the car yeah yeah which is the dumbest thing in the uh, on the planet and then they then they uh so they have to book it out of town and they stop at a movie i think to try to get the heat off of them and they're both more or less more interested in the movie, while while Clyde is pissed. You know, it's like you made me kill a guy, basically. Well, I don't know. Uh
2: Bonnie is well. Bonnie definitely. CW is just sitting there crying.
1: Well, yeah, he's bothered by the fact that they killed somebody, but like they they seem to be more childlike um in different like they they seem to be more immature in the same way with two different reactions in that scene
2: that's one of the problems i kind of have with this movie is the unevenness in almost all of the characters like cw is i don't know what the right term to use here is but he's not very bright for half the like for 90 percent of the movie and then he has There's only really- one
1: thing he's good at the but fun. there's
2: two moments in the movie where his speech becomes real clear, you know, and he's talking once when he's talking to um the wife of Clyde Barrow's brother. I forget her name. Sorry. Blanche. Oh, yeah. He's Blanche. talking to Blanche and he's like very clear and his accent goes away. And like, it's, it's just weird. And there's multiple moments in this movies where characters are just like not themselves for the purpose of the story.
1: Yeah, almost. I can kind of see that. I think one thing when it comes to CW is that there's an easy fix for it for anything like that with CW. And that is give us time frame because he starts off as a kid and he does kind of mature by the end
2: yeah but he's also a goof when they're getting away so i mean well yeah i mean well he is but that he's acting like the kid that he was at the beginning of the movie so there's just unevenness if there's progression there it's really definitely not given to you in a meaningful way
1: i would say one thing i i definitely see what you're saying if there's one thing i would say about that is that that's the last time he sees him it's almost like he's feeling the things that he used to feel the first time you before everything went really bad, it's his last kind of time to experience that.
2: So, how long did transpire in this movie? Is it years,
1: months? Supposed to be like three years, I think. Yeah. Um, but no, we don't get any frame of rest reference for that. We barely get frame of reference of the all the different places the Bonnie and Clyde actually did go. Um, yeah. In, in three or four years, I mean, they, they went from Texas to Missouri to Indiana to Kentucky to, you know, like to Illinois to, you know, like they, they, you know, they were killed in Louisiana. Yeah. You know, they don't make any mention of that. Uh, right. Uh, yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're morbidly uh, curious, uh, you can see the actual film that the, um, that the posse took of the aftermath of them shooting bonnie and clyde that's on youtube yeah
2: (laughs) no not really interested um so i do think it's it's worth mentioning and i think this is true we ate in one of the banks that they robbed I'm pretty sure that Bonnie and Clyde. I don't know <laughs> if
0: that was or not, but yeah, that's what we always like to think.
1: <laughs> that's, well, that's what we like to think. I mean, it used to be a bank, and uh they made a pretty dang good tenderloin, and they had some pretty dang good uh sweet potato fries.
2: I think I investigated this once, and it was one, but I'm not positive. Anyway, um, I'm trying to think of... anything else that i was thinking
0: i'm trying to find the the quote but uh but somebody kind of summed up the movie by the fact that it's um cw's dad who who gets them caught and killed and it's because most likely it's because he had them put a tattoo on him like, he defiled himself for them, like getting a tattoo, which is, you know, when you when you think of it in the context of long-haired hippies and everything, like in the counterculture, it's like the perfect representation of the man, right?
2: Right. <laughs> well, yeah, especially since the father was so, like, I don't know if manipulative is the word, but he was so nice to Bonnie and Clyde to their face. Like, he he had a plan to trap the The hippie kids, right, yeah, like, yeah, <laughs> make them or, trust me, and then I'll take them out,
0: yeah, exactly, it's like but yeah you know, he might have been on their side if it weren't for that damn tattoo,
2: yeah, it's like <laughs> a scooby doo thing, yeah. <laughs> I would have been on your side if it wasn't for that damn tattoo, um, there is a scene that's really weird to me, and I was wondering what you guys were thought what you guys thought about it when Bonnie finally gets to go see your mother, mm, Yep. Yeah that picnic that they're at is kind of hazy and it's shooting. Like it looks different than the rest of the film. And it looks like a funeral. Yeah. They're all like, wearing black. Everyone's dre- dressed in <laughs> black. It's like the family looks all sad. The only one having fun at the whole damn thing is, is buck Barrow. Barrow. Like it's really kind of a weird
1: scene. Well, they're there. The kids are like, Bonnie is having some fun with her, like with her nieces and nephews.
2: No adults are having fun with each other.
1: Is more what I meant. Yeah. The kids. Now, I I don't know, Jason. What did you think? Because I,
0: I this is by design.
1: This is by design.
2: It does, it's supposed to be a funeral,
1: right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
2: Absolutely.
0: Um. And I'll and I'll tell you why I know this. Um. The uh the scene with Gene Wilder, when that was in the original script, that was supposed to happen after she goes back to meet mom. Well, our our buddy Robert Town, who we've talked about several times, most notably in our Chinatown episode, he he came in to kind of do a script doctoring work. This is actually the first the first movie that he's kind of widely credited for quote unquote saving as a script doctor without getting any real credit. He um he took the scene with the Undertaker and Gene Wilder and and Bonnie saying get out and put that before. They go back to meet bonnie's mother to give everything that happens after it an impending doom and then with that giving that that scene more of a funeralistic feeling setting it's it's it it, you know some of it i think is intentional and some of it is just because you already have it in your head that that they're they are on the path
1: to their deaths right um Yeah, it's definitely uh and is punctuated by the that line about, you know, when she says, I I want to live in yes. this area. And she's like, well, you may live only a mile away, but you, you'll, you only you only have about eight
0: hours to live or something like that. Yeah,
1: you'll you'll be dead
0: soon you'll after dead or, something, again, yeah, days something, or something like that. That, yeah. that was also Robert Townline.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, it's because uh, at first I wondered the same thing. Then I thought, well, they're religious. And it's like, no, no, this is they've already given Bonnie her funeral, um, which is interesting because yeah. Bonnie's funeral, her family could not even get to see her body or get to the grave site. Uh, so many people showed up hmm. uh, to, interesting. to view to view the, the thing. Her family couldn't actually get get next to the grave. Hmm. So in a way, yeah, it's like this is their fun- this is the, the funeral that was given. Um, interestingly, uh, the real, um, the, uh, the real Blanche and Warren Beatty were friends for 20 years before she died in the late eighties, the
0: real Blanche,
1: huh? The real Blanche. Cause he went and asked to use her real name huh? and, uh, she did, um, she approved of the script, did not like. The performance <laughs> called her a uh, screeching horse's ass, um, <laughs> but she turned over a new leaf. Uh, she she got out on good uh, behavior after six of her ten years, got a real job, completed her parole, got remarried, had kids. Yeah, um,
0: I wouldn't have liked the
1: performance either. She she
0: <laughs> Estella Parsons is definitely
1: played for laughs oh my god when that when when she takes off down the fucking road screaming her head off when the cops come with with the with the butcher knife yes (laughs) i'm laughing my ass off it's Uh, funny as hell it is yeah (laughs) and gene gene ackman chasing after (laughs) after she started chasing after him (laughs) interesting anecdote
0: you mentioned the the cinematography chuck and kind of that that hazy sort of soft focus. It's, it's throughout. It's throughout a lot of the movie. Um, Burnett Guffey, the cinematographer, hated it. Hated it. He was he was doing what he was told by um, Arthur Penn and Robert Rob Reffert. Jesus, Warren Beatty. He didn't want to shoot the picture that way, but they told him to, and he won. He won the damn Oscar for it.
2: <laughs> That's hilarious. There is some really nice shots in this movie oh yes there are
1: oh you you think you're in texas the whole time i mean like you think you're looking out the window into texas the whole time you know it just it feels like you are there you know yeah. I'm,
0: the, i think you're you, you know I, i'm the very first time I, re- I noticed like the camera is that that match stick shot right oh yeah because it's like close in and it kind of kind of cranes back It's a great shot.
2: Yeah. And it's a cool shot. And it also like gave me the feeling of gasoline and fire. Mm -hmm. This guy is, is going to blow everything up.
0: He's literally playing with fire. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah, that, and then there's a scene where their car is shot between branches of a tree and it's like perfectly framed. I'm like, how the fuck do you do that on a moving car? Like it just, there was just cool. cool. I don't know why I always like things shot through trees. Like when they frame something with trees, like it's always appealing to me.
0: We'll call it the, Chuck statictic it has got quite the chuck static.
2: you can see his face through the trees. it's beautiful <laughs>
1: uh, uh, I, uh, I i I kind of want to go back a little bit to Michael J. Pollard because yeah, yeah, I do like him a lot as a um and and last week i I mentioned uh the elijah cook jr for some reason i always thought he was in this movie and it's not that i got him confused with michael j pollard i just thought he was another guy in this movie i was totally wrong about that he's not in this movie at all um uh, but michael j pollard um first of all um to to call him impish would be um exactly correct like
0: <laughs> if he could, I wonder where you're gonna go with that
1: if if, if it, like, they really missed out at some point. And maybe if, if Superman 4 wasn't like a total shit show, um, maybe they could have cast him as Mr. Mixipitulic. Mixaplex Yeah. And, yeah. However you Mix-a-plix. say it. And, uh, he would have been perfect. Um, he's also in an awesome episode of, of the original series of Star Trek, right, right before this movie. Um, where he plays like, basically they they go to this planet where all like these uh, kids are in charge because all the adults got this disease and died, and basically once you become an adult, you get the disease, and you know, and he acts like a kid in that, um, and so I guess he was just kind of practicing for a year later when he got to play CW. <laughs> well, he was in he was in
0: the biker pick biker pick the biker pick of the Wild Angels with Peter Fonda the year before this.
1: Yep. And uh, we've seen him before. He was Bug Bailey and Dick Tracy.
2: Yep. Yep. Um, in fact... Um, Warren Beatty's nothing if not loyal. <laughs> That's exactly right. Warren That's Beatty, a, Warren Beatty, I don't
0: know. Horror heads would recognize him as Stucky in House of a Thousand Corpses.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's one of those guys that just, like, shows up everywhere. He's got a face. Sure yeah.
1: does. Yep. Yeah. Yep.
2: Like, I uh, recognized him right away in the, like... In my mind, he's 50 years older all the time than he is as this character. (laughs) But I'm like, oh, that's definitely him. But when you kind of need a weirdo,
1: he's your man. Yeah. But uh, but no, I you know, and I do feel sorry for him for most of this movie, because it does kind of feel like when they pick him up, it seems very obvious that they are doing that, that they're not like it's, he knows how to fix cars. We could use somebody like that. Um, right. You know, I mean, he
2: had a choice he, though. He had a choice, he did. but, but he they, did. you can't help but think that they're taking advantage of him.
1: absolutely. And, um, there is a little bit of flirtatiousness with, with Faye Dunaway in that scene too, where, you know, it's like, this kid doesn't have a chance he's gonna go and try to be the big man that he thinks Clyde is and be around a pretty lady like Bonnie is of course it's like this guy has no chance and they kind of know it and they they yeah, are I mean, kind of predatory about it
2: he's all shunk all shucksing like that whole scene like
1: oh yeah and and
2: kicking and then, the ground and
1: yeah and stuff. then he's by the end of that scene he's he's selling himself to them
2: Oh, yeah they say prove it and he steals the money and they're like that's good enough for us
1: <laughs> guy, get,
2: you're get in, in. the car cw moss you, you're <laughs> yeah. in
1: yeah you're in you got it um but yeah it's but like <clears throat> um i don't think he knew what he was i mean, like he obviously didn't know exactly what he was getting into it's like it, there's no such thing as a um it, there's no such thing as, as a, a gang of bank robbers that don't kill people
2: Well, there was until he was involved.
1: Well, that's true. It's
2: kind of his fault that they had to kill somebody. Not even kind of. It's his fault that I mean it's his fault in the way, but in reality, I don't think the trigger need to be pulled in that
1: scene. No, I mean like it's very, very clear that the because Warren Beatty kind of does that rambling thing where it's like he had you know, it's like he got the drop on it. And it's like he's very clear that he's trying to speak very uh, he's he's nervously talking fast to try to clear himself
2: oh with yeah. his brother
1: yeah it's like yeah, yeah. it's like he, he what am i supposed to do what am i supposed to he got drop on us and it's like dude you didn't have to you could have just opened the door and kicked him off the car you know uh right. there were other ways to deal with that guy and uh he took all the wrong ways
2: <laughs> right i mean i guess when you're in i've never been in a moment where i might get caught for a bank robbery like <laughs> that's fair who knows who knows the choices that you're gonna make there in your in your fear um
1: <laughs> well he's not the guy wasn't he was just on the side of the car he he didn't have a um you know he's not he, he doesn't have a gun on him yeah, yeah it, if is, it was a cop that's trying to shoot into the car okay i'm Maybe. not
2: justifying it i'm just saying you'd never know what someone's going to do when they're fearful that they might get caught
1: yeah no that's that's fair yeah um i mean that's that's one of those classic examples of well there's a gun in this situation so yep. it increases the chance of death by about a hundred percent yeah
2: for sure um <laughs> I got, a weird,
0: I got a weird factoid for you.
2: Do it. It
0: has sort of very little to do with this particular movie, but it has to do with Bonnie and Clyde in cinema. Um, So I've established that the writers of this movie were big French New Wave fans, big, big, big Francois Truffaut fans, like major Francois Truffaut fans. I mean, the script they wrote is kind of an amalgam of Jules and Jim and shoot the piano player, right? But told through the Bonnie and Clyde legend. Well, it's no surprise they wanted their hero, Truffaut, to do it. But I wonder I wonder if they also kind of knew that Truffaut might have a specific affinity to a Bonnie and Clyde type story because of his connection to Hitchcock. Because Hitchcock, this is so weird to me, when he made Rope, he cast the two killers, John Dahl and Farley Granger, and I don't know if this is a coincidence or not, but John Dahl was Clyde in a a Clyde surrogate in the 1950 movie, Gun Crazy, and Farley was a Clyde surrogate in the 1948 movie, They Live by Night. Both, I mean, they were both played Clyde, right? Uh, and then he cast them as the killers in Rope. Interesting. Interesting.
2: Yeah. So a lot,
0: And I like a lot of those Like that You know They Live My Night Is another one of those Where it's like The 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 rebels On the run But they Have to make good in the end Or Or they're They're only doing what they have to do Because uh, Because of necessity It's just Like that 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 only way you could tell the t- Those types of stories Is to put a Particular spin on them because of the case code Hmm.
1: um another interesting um little factoid here that uh so yeah i was talking about michael j pollard michael j fox adopted j because of that his (laughs) real middle name's andrew (laughs) i was gonna say um Pollard
0: was in Little Foss and Big Halsey. That was a another biker movie. Um that one had Robert Redford in it. Um 1970. Why I bring it up is because Little Foss and Big Halsey was the, the first movie that um uh damn it the guy from uh that produced The Godfather got to make, Albert Ruddy. Mm. He 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 got the job producing The Godfather because Little little Faust and Big Housey came under budget. Didn't make any money, but it came under budget.
1: Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um I uh I was a little surprised that, you know, I mean this is nineteen sixty seven and Warren Beatty is the sole producer of this movie.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He was desperate
1: for a hit. Which is he, interesting because it's like, is that? I mean, nobody wanted to make it.
0: Nobody yeah, wanted to make like it. He, he nobody wanted to direct it. He was afraid he was going to have to direct it himself. And didn't want to.
1: Yeah, because the first movie he directed was Heaven Can Wait '78. He but-
0: ended up. He ended up um, taking. I think his fee. His fee to act in it was two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Um, which was a. A discount and he, um, he negotiated 40% of net, which is net 40% of net is nearly not a great deal unless you really think the movie is going to be a hit. Because generally, like, net can be two to three times the negative cost, and that's including all the advertising, like, all striking all the prints, like, everything, right. Every single amount of money that the studio puts into that movie has to be recouped by the studio before you can start claiming points on net. Usually you want to claim your points on gross. But this movie ended up making a shit ton of money. Um, yeah, 70 million, I mean, 70 million on a two and a half million dollar budget. Two and a half million might even be high estimate. That might be with negative costs because I think Warren Beatty said he made it for
1: 1.6. Yeah. Cause I mean, like it's just, it's, it's weird <clears throat> because it's like, you know, I mean, like he had only he had only really been in like seven movies before this one, mm-hmm. and I mean,
0: and, and and honestly, like they weren't they weren't particularly, um, they weren't particularly moneymakers. The movies that he was in,
1: I they are splend- probably, splendor in the grass. Splendor in but- the
0: glass was like his big splash, but he really hadn't made very many. Like movies yeah. that made any
1: money, he was
0: he um you know Lilith and Mickey won probably like God they probably lost so much money <clears throat> um he was desperate for a hit and um and he you know this was he was developing this he was also developing um what's new Pussycat which he ended up losing almost everything to to Woody Allen on that one because the producer that he was working with kind of they kind of dumped him. And he's like, well, we don't need you. We're going to roll with Woody on this. And Woody, Woody, I mean, he got kind of like street cred and like Hollywood cred for for developing What's New Pussycat, but he didn't make any money off of it. But it launched Woody Allen's
1: career. Hmm. We're going to go with another stud. Bring in Woody Allen. Oh, <laughs> huh. yeah. I mean, when you really look
0: at, like, this was Beatty's really is probably his first big hit.
1: Bonnie and Clyde, like mon- yeah. monetarily,
0: it's his first big hit, and he yeah. made a lot
1: of money on it. Which is funny because, like, you know, his sister Shirley MacLaine, right? Yeah, I mean, she was a huge star. Um, at the, you know at this at this point, yeah, um, yeah, that's yeah. So no, I just I think it's interesting because it's like you know the the director and producer Warren Beatty is yeah, I mean like everything he made from like seventy eight on seemed like it was you know he had that kind of total control on. For sure. Um yeah it was kinda like you know after
0: after Bonnie and Clyde and probably McCabe and Mrs. Miller, you know, working with Robert Altman on that, you know, but in both movies he argued tooth and nail with the directors, you know, Penn and and altman respectively It's really kind of where he started to where he learned his craft as director yeah
2: i don't want to direct but i'm going to argue with the director that's a pretty
0: well yeah because he he knew what he wanted right but he yeah. but he but he didn't want to have to do all the things a director has to do and all the things a producer has to do right right which is funny because it's like. And he didn't have the confidence yet that he could do that, but he eventually did, obviously.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, now he didn't direct Bugsy. I mean, that was Barry Levinson. Yeah, that's right. Um, and he, he did avoid directing Ishtar, <laughs> but he oh, produced God. it. So he lost all the money, but he didn't have to probably lost all the money he made on Bonnie and Clyde on Ishtar. <laughs> <laughs> oh
0: boy. But I've uh, never seen that one. <laughs> I've never seen it either.
1: I just, I just know it's, if it's a it's legend. The rep, the reputation precedes it. Um, yeah. No, I, uh, yeah. So I mean, like, I don't know. It's it, this is a this is a weird movie because like this is kind of one of those movies where it does it does kind of want you to like the protagonists, even though that they're not particular. I mean they're not good people they're you know they're they're morally um uh bankrupt Mm -hmm. um you know but like i i think i don't know maybe it's uh you know maybe it's because that we know they're going to we know what they're you know it's like we know what's going to happen to them (laughs) I guess maybe that makes them in some way, shape or form a little bit more, um, sympathetic, I guess. Um, you know, and it's like, cause you know, Bonnie and, and, uh, and, and Blanche don't like each other. They kind of grade on each other, but, but like, you never see like, you know, it's like, you could very easily see like, oh, you know, uh, they go and they, they go and meet up with Buck and we find out he's a, you know, he abuses his wife or something. It's like, no, it's nothing like that. Right. You know, they're just, he, you know, Buck is kind of a loud, loud mouth,
0: but eh. Well, I think you, you're hit on something there. I think the, the familial aspect of the movie does lend its, lend the characters some, some, uh, sympathy Mm -hmm. right um
2: and there's very little like quabble between or nothing super meaningful between the main players
0: right they're shallow they're all very shallow
2: yes
1: well but they're they're shallow to the point of they're also shallow that they just get along (laughs) right yeah
2: yeah but that that kind of makes the I think that's why the narrative of this is so one note for me. Like, it feels like you're on a train and, like, you're just sitting in your chair watching the same tree go by over and over again a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's like there's no real interesting things that happen between the characters. It's all outward, kind of external forces. And even those are limited until the very end, right? Like it's almost—I don't know. There's almost nothing to it half the time.
0: I um, am. Am I being there, too there critical are a there? Few moments. No, I don't think so. I, I think you're hitting on, on a part of the reason why I just don't care for the movie that much, right? It is kind of one note. It's interesting. It's interesting for its controversy. It's interesting for Pauline kale's passionate defense of it in the face of the violence, which, which kind of opened up this whole new world of criticism and allowed movies to be more dangerous i mean most critics when this movie came out they were terrible reviews terrible reviews pauline kale's review of it started to turn the tide right and it did make hollywood safer for for more movies like this to be made um the the power of the critic was a real thing in the late 60s that's interesting yeah um But yeah, I mean, you know, her most of her review is is about like, why are people so so upset about the violence? Why are people so upset about the historical inaccuracies? It's like you think they got Man for All Seasons right? It's like, but everyone (laughs) loved that one, you know. So you know, it's a lot of like just you know her her defense of the movie lent it so much credibility that, and she does criticize a lot of it. She criticizes the. The, the sexuality angle and you know the the culmination of his sexual prowess is like sort of this this stand-in for for success right or for 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 for, for uh, I forget what word she used but you know she made criticizes it, so he
2: got to make it
0: she criticizes some of the performances she criticizes um um several things right but um but she she defends. The the people she defends the movie against the people who are just like blindly hating it for for, for shallow reasons. So she's defending the art of it, she's defending it as art. That's exactly right.
1: Yeah. And it, it, some of this is kind of also this is funny because it's the first time I was reading because I was reading some of the reception here. Um, you know, like, you know, because New York Times at the time is calling it a cheap piece of bald faced slapstick comedy that treats yeah. the hideous yeah Uh, yeah but like and so and yeah it's like pauline does like a freelance essay for the new yorker defending it um at the time ebert gave it four out of four you know he says that uh milestone in the history of american movies a work of truth and brilliance it is also pitilessly cruel filled with sympathy nauseating funny heartbreaking and astonishing astonishingly beautiful and that's kind of how I was that's how I kind of look at it it's like on the uh, on the on the canvas that's you know like okay you start holding up the 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 microscope and I kind of agree with you guys there are some imperfections up with this but that kind of does I I admit I felt those things watching it um he then went on to say if it does not seem like these words should be strung together Perhaps that is because movies do not often reflect the full range of human life. Yeah, and, and so that's he's something looking else at beyond that, the art, uh-huh. you know. But like, I admit, I you know some of those things that were strung together that probably should, I kind of can say, yeah, I kind of get, yeah, I was kind of feeling those things in that. The um,
0: that's what Kale also points out as the 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 sort of French influence, right? the French French new wave influence that a lot of French movies of the time were being made about like American violence, American gangsters, but being breath is is the guy trying to be bringing and bringing the poetry of humanity through in the narrative and in the art. Right. And that's exactly what this movie attempted to do. And I think was mostly successful in doing so.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's, yeah, I think that's, what it is largely successful at um you guys are right this is not a perfect movie to to say that this is a great movie 55 years later mm, i mean yeah if, if you are an expert of films of this time meaning you're right now you know studying the 60s and the change over from the old ways to the new Absolutely this it's is going watershed. to be a, a, yeah. yeah it's going to be top tier.
2: Yeah I mean um, it'd be wrong to take any old review and kind of criticize it against modern times absolutely. right because they didn't see the stuff we've seen since. Absolutely. So saying that it's this has not been done in film before or isn't done very often maybe we've seen it 30 times by now or 40. Absolutely. Or 50. I mean
1: like, it's without a doubt without this movie I wouldn't have One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest. I wouldn't have Chinatown. You know, these are movies that that kind of paint those those pictures, maybe better than Bonnie and Clyde, but paints those same pictures that I think Ebert and Cale talk about, you know, in the in the sense of movies that take chances and don't work out for our heroes is important in movies.
2: That's an interesting one too. One flew over the cuckoo's nest because it it accomplishes all of what Ebert said almost in a single setting.
1: Yep. Because he's wild. not driving. He's yeah. He's not driving around <clears throat> Texas. He's for so yeah. you know for eighty five percent of the movie he's trapped in a in, in an insane asylum. Yeah, with Chucky, right? And here to to yeah. to um
0: <laughs> shadow to mirror your Ebert. Because I think Ebert and, and uh, Kale may have been on one mind in this movie. Uh, if this way of holding more than one attitude toward life is already familiar to us, if we recognize the make-believe robbers whose toy guns produce real blood, and the Keystone cops who shoot them dead, from Truffaut's *Shoot the Plant Piano Player* and Godard's gangster pictures breath- *Breathless* and *Band of Outsiders*, it's because the young French directors discovered the poetry of crime in American life from our movies and showed the Americans how to put it on the screen in a new, existential way. Melodramas and gangster movies and comedies were always more our speed than prestigious, distinguished pictures. The French directors who grew up on American pictures found poetry in our fast action, laconic speech, plain gestures. And because they understood that you don't express your love of life by denying the comedy or the horror of it, they brought out the poetry in our tawdry subjects. Yeah
2: well said
0: yeah well said pauline (laughs) oh i thought that was you i wish (laughs)
1: wish. (laughs) you know it's kind of funny because you know and as by the time this episode comes out if i actually go through with it this other thing that i've been thinking about will also have been released um i've long talked about wanting to do more of like an essay type of film seizure at the movies for like the movie babylon because i have a very complicated relationship with that movie but Uh it's the same type of stuff it's there's an ugliness to it that ends up creating something kind of nice now there is also something at the end of that this almost overly saccharine that is kind of betrays a little bit of that but it's like it's that whole kind of Painting the picture of, of this using the simple fact that, yeah, sometimes people do, people are awful. And that doesn't necessarily mean that they can't accomplish or inspire something great from it, you know? Um, and so, yeah, it's, yeah, I don't know. We're, we're, uh, this is being recorded at a time that I haven't. So, from the future, if I actually went through with what I wanted to do, uh, go check that out. Um, if I didn't do it, I'm still thinking about it. <laughs> but, uh, but no, yeah, it's just, it's, uh, yeah, you know, we, we haven't really talked too much about this movie. No, there's not a great deal of plot in this. No. It's two people meet. They meet because, um, Clyde is trying to steal Bonnie's mom's car, and then they end up going on a date. And he robs a general store. And at that point, they're they're career criminals. At and we know what we know. The ending is just going to be a matter a matter of getting there. There's no twist to this. You know, it's just it's barely a biography and there is no there is no plot <laughs> so you're you're kind of stuck and and i think maybe chuck this could play to where you're saying that this is a little uneven or a lot uneven at times not having a plot and having to rely on these interesting actors doing interesting things with their characters Yeah, that's what
2: I'm saying. Their unevenness was due to the fact that they needed the characters to do something to progress the story right? instead of having something interesting outside, like progress the story. And that, that, that makes it a weaker film to me. Like I have, there was a lot I liked about this movie, but there was enough. I didn't like to kind of make it like a, not a wash necessarily. I like it a little bit more than that, but it's, yeah, it's definitely not one that i'm going to look to like i need to scratch this particular itch i'm going to bring out bonnie and Clyde. like it doesn't yeah. fit that kind of place for me
1: so yeah i mean there there are other warren beatty movies that i if i need to see something warren beatty that i'd rather watch
0: sure um, do you think um do you think the she's a peach directly influenced true romance that the, the interaction between uh, Gene Hackman and Warren Beatty when he, yeah, meets, I mean, when he beats, meets Bonnie. That
2: had to be, right? I mean, that's well, another I think true romance, romance retelling, right? Like, yeah, we right. talked about yeah, that yeah, yeah. during the episode. But, so, I mean, that's yeah, that's almost definitely.
0: directly lifted. Yeah, it's got to yeah, be.
2: Gotta yeah, got to be.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, because, I mean, like, true romance is a it's my Bonnie opinion, and Clyde movie. Yeah. It's a Bonnie and Clyde movie I'd probably rather watch than this one again. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, because and that one does falls, have a plot. Yeah. Yeah, but that has a plot too. I mean, you know, it's uh, yeah. I mean, this may have better performances. The other one has a, maybe a better plot and more entertaining. Uh, certainly has a uh, a snazzier uh, s- script
2: for sure. Uh,
1: this
0: it's very interesting. the The movies that were up for Best Picture this year, the movies that were up for everything this year, it's very old Hollywood versus new Hollywood. You had Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, in the Heat of the Night. You had Bonnie and Clyde on kind of the old Hollywood, right? Like kind of the safe old Hollywood, almost like old Hollywood liberal film. And then you had Bonnie and Clyde in The Graduate, very much new Hollywood. And then Dr. Doolittle, Air in the Middle,
1: stupid musical that made no money. Well, Dr. Doolittle is a, that is as old as Hollywood as you could get.
0: Oh, yeah. Did sure. Guess um,
1: Who's Coming to Dinner win or did The Graduate?
0: No, um, the, In the Heat of the Night, the night. One. Oh, damn! But The Graduate won, Mike Nichols won Best, Pick, Best Director for The Graduate. Yeah.
2: Did Portier um, win Best Actor that year? Um, no. Did he won once? Didn't Rod, he? Rod Steiger won. Yeah, he was also what?
0: he was he was the white cop
2: in, in the heat of the night. Interesting. I don't know enough about 60s American film.
0: He also had um. Yeah, it's kind of interesting that I mean Cindy Portier wasn't even nominated.
2: Really? Yeah.
0: And he was. He was in two of his best movies, probably. Um, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner and In the Heat he of Life. He was
1: night. in two best, which which tells me that the the voting, they canceled each other out. Maybe, probably. but he didn't get nominated for either. No, which, but, but uh, that's what I'm saying. You, you can only pick one. Yeah, but so,
0: Spencer Tracy got nominated for yeah. Guess Who's Coming to, to Dinner, you know? And, right. Yeah, it could be. It could be. I mean, Oftentimes, they should have just like accumulated. Surely, it wasn't racism.
2: Well. <laughs> they should have just accumulated <laughs> his votes. Like it should have just been for the actor, and then you know he got a hundred for this weird one. That's though.
0: Yeah, and uh George Kennedy won his uh, uh, Oscar this year for Cool Hand Luke. Good old You George mean Kennedy. Naked
2: Guns, George Kennedy? Yeah,
1: Naked Guns, George Kennedy. You know Kennedy.
2: it. You know it. That's what he's most famous
1: for, of course. Well, to to me, absolutely
2: um no I, that's another one that's another one we need. oh my god he looks so tough and cool
1: hand luke yeah
2: holy <laughs> shit yeah. i haven't seen that movie in many oh, years he was, and he, he looks was, real tough in that
1: But before he was he was frank draven's partner he was a badass <laughs> he was
0: he was he was in a lot of he was on a lot of tough guy movies the dirty dozen yeah
2: i mean yeah but he's got his shirt off in this and he's looking like he could <laughs> he could kick my ass and he's like 50 <laughs> well i'm almost 50 but <laughs>
1: well, no, yeah d- 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 yeah you can't qualify that he's gonna kick your ass chuck yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: well i would have had him kicking my ass when i was 32 so right
1: yeah. yeah um no i uh it, it, yeah it's just it's a um you know and like i was saying you know it's like this is this was nominated for 10 Oscars. It won only... Two. Two. Estelle Parsons. Yeah. <laughs> Probably for that scene that she took off down the road. Let's be honest. I mean, absolutely. And cinematography. But um, this was the first year in film for, for Faith Dunaway. Um, you know, I mean, it was the really... Warren Beatty's first real hit. Um Arthur Penn had uh, made the um uh The Miracle Worker before this. So he yeah, wasn't He's a, he's another
0: guy who was way out of favor.
1: He hadn't had a hit in a long time. Yeah. Nobody wanted Arthur Penn either. Um But you know, I mean, he was not it was not uncommon for him to make a good movie even if No, that's um, very true as well. And Gene Hackman was relatively um kind of new at that time if i'm not mistaken um he'd been in a few things um but not too much before this um 67 was probably his biggest year yeah um yeah On the topic
0: and- of arthur penn so after mickey one flopped in 1965 this is from uh Easy Riders, Raging Bulls. Uh, Penn's movie career spiraled downward. Hollywood was not a place for intellectuals, no matter how talented, and Penn suffered the kinds of humiliations routinely heaped on directors. First, he was brutally kicked off the train by the star Burke Lancaster. Then producer Sam Spiegel took the chase away from him in in post-production and recut it. He was hit hit rock bottom, did nothing for a year and a half. It was in this moment that Beatty came knocking with Bonnie and Clyde.
2: interesting
0: necessity is mother invention make your arguably your masterpiece at your lowest point
1: yep um the uh that the poem the the ballad of bonnie and clyde is a real thing yeah it is you only read about a third of it yeah it is a very long poem (laughs) like i yeah i i looked it up and i started going it's like oh my god <laughs> it's like the new it would have been the entirety of the front page of the paper um but it's very simplistic but it's actually pretty pretty well written um you know maybe bonnie could have done something else
0: i like this um also from raging bulls easy riders um Says says, uh, if the Bond films legitimized government violence and the Leone films legitimized vigilante violence, Bonnie and Clyde legitimized violence against the establishment. The same violence that seethed in the hearts and minds of hundreds of thousands of frustrated opponents of the Vietnam War. Hmm.
2: What's interesting is the number of heroes that were outside of the establishment trying to stop them that got hurt. Like the guy in the, the, the store that jumped on Warren Beatty, when he had a gun, the guy who got shot in the face when they Mm -hmm. were getting away with the money, those people had no, like nowadays they tell you just let the criminal go. Right. Right. (laughs) Right.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That guy who got shot in the face, the first guy that, that Clyde kills, um, that was a direct homage to battleship Potemkin. It was a very similar shot.
2: Oh, interesting. yeah. It's pretty well done. That shot. It is. Um, the shot of the shot.
1: Shot. The, the shot. shot of the shot.
0: I I really like my my favorite scene in the movie is the scene where uh, they're staying they're squatting in the house Bonnie and Clyde are and the owner comes.
1: Oh yeah, by. I was going to ask because oh, yeah.
0: you because you had brought and he the checks truck. and he checks on them and checks was what's going on here. And he's like I don't want no trouble. I don't want no trouble. And then he. He offers his gun to the farmer when he finds out the the bank took his house, bank done took it or something like that. Yeah, it's like, well, ain't that the Ross deal or something like that? Clyde says, and he hands him the gun and has him shoot the house, shoot the windows out of the house. It's just there's a poetry there for sure.
1: Well, he shoots yep. the sign that that the bank shoots the sign that the bank yeah. took it. Yep. yep, no, the the uh, the window was shot out by the black guy who worked the farm with the oh yeah, they yeah. both shot it. yeah
0: they window. both shot it
1: yeah yeah. yeah um yeah and that was you know and it's like um you know i don't i don't know if if clyde was really like that but it's it's a good scene kind of early on right when you're trying to figure this guy out Mm -hmm. do you want to be with this guy for the rest of the movie right you know, it's like for all we know, he kind of sweet talked this girl who was bored into becoming a, <laughs> right. you know, into becoming an an outlaw essentially. Do we want to be with this guy for the for the rest of the movie? And that scene it says, yeah, we can yeah. hang out with this guy for the rest of the movie.
0: Yeah, he, there's has, he has sympathy. Yeah, there's there there's a there's a humanity there.
1: Yeah, yep. and then well,
2: he also tells her it's time to go. They don't know who you are. You can get out of this now. Yeah, he lets the one guy keep his money. He says yeah, that yours right. are the banks, right? Like right. there's yeah, those are, those are all
1: they're... of the backup to, to kind of stabilize yeah. the, that, that moment where we think, yeah, we could probably yeah. go with this,
2: but it probably made the murder, the first murder, all the more horrifying, right? Like, sure. yeah, sure.
1: Yeah. Well, well it's, yeah, it's, it's certainly, it, it certainly puts, uh, Beatty's, uh, reaction to what he had to do. It, it, it made it believable
0: i believe that too yeah
1: yeah um so yeah i mean and um you know and and when we and once we meet gene hackman we don't really think buck is a killer either if anything you think he's just chasing you know, make sure you spell my name right in the paper type of guy you know um as if it's difficult to spell buck um, but you know, uh, but no, like you, you kind of feel like it's a, um, you know, you, you kind of get the impression that, that, uh, in that first scene that he's just kind of a dummy. Yeah. You know, he's just kind of a dummy and, uh, he has a, you know, he's married now. He's married to the, to a preacher's daughter. Um, and he's just kind of a, you know just just an uneducated hick basically Mm -hmm. um i don't think this movie does much good for you know i I mean it really kind of shows that a lot of people in texas are probably farmers broke or hicks one or the other um you know i mean it's 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 kind of one of those movies that um it feels like and this is something that that's come up a lot like if you if you look at like history of film and how certain people are represented um white texans are tend tend to be some of the dumbest represented people or you know like represented the dumbest out of all of the south um, well, it
2: sounds like you're focusing on texas but they're not in texas the entire movie they're no, only but there they are, for a little bit of it
1: but they are Texans. Okay. Yeah.
2: Fair. I mean, people being broke in the great depression makes sense too. Well, sure,
1: sure. But I mean, but like, you know, like when they meet and where they're from, they're kind of played early on as bumpkins. And with, and with Clyde and, and Buck both being not exactly the smartest guys on the planet. Well, Bonnie's from Texas, right? She's smart. Yeah. Well, yes, but, there are times in which she's kind of played almost naive. Like she, she kind of naively goes with,
2: I don't with think so. I thought. think she's, I think she's pretty calculated, but that could be left to how you read it. Really. It's not really implicitly stated that she's yeah, naive.
0: I don't think she's naive either. Um I think that I think but she does have a moment
1: where she feels in over her head. Yeah. I mean, I think that at the beginning, it seems like she's just kind of bored. And
2: yeah, she's on the
1: while not necessarily uh naive per se, she's very easily kind of gets swept up when this interesting guy outside tries to steal her mom's car. Yeah. You know, and, and well, well and
0: they, well that she when she finds it like sex sexual turn on that she can't that's kind of where the impotency comes in with her, right? Sure. If she she can't get the gratif- gratification sexually you know that that this life of crime is is boiling up in her right because she i mean it's definitely there's a there's a sexual as, there's a sexual aspect to to this excitement for her the 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 robbing of banks and and
2: all right. that right i mean the gun shows that immediately right, right? like yeah. jeff mentioned earlier yeah so I mean, so, so very there's, there's sexual frustration here. on her part Right. Even the way she's drinking her coke yep. is very sexual. Yeah, kind of. That's why I like the 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 implications with
0: with is it CW? Yeah, yeah. CW Moss. Yeah. Or there like like if that movie is made today, you could you could you could go there. You could tell the story
2: the way people would still be pissed off about it. Sure, they would. Lots of people, but they don't have to go see it.
1: Well, they're assholes anyway. So
2: there are more people that would be less turned off by it than there were in the '60s. I'm sure.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Oh, for sure, for sure. Absolutely. Interestingly, in real life, uh, apparently, uh, supposedly, John Dillinger uh, sent flowers to Bonnie and Clyde's funeral. Huh. Um. And I think they also said the pretty boy Floyd did too. Um, two months later, Dillinger's dead. Wow. Um, he didn't learn anything from the movie. No, Uh, that came
2: out 50 years later, but no, no, yeah, he he learned,
1: he learned nothing. (laughs) Um, yeah, it's kind of funny because like, you know, we, we talked about this a little bit too with, uh, with like Pat Garrett and Billy the kid, right? It's like th- these people do kind of challenge like an old guard, right? And the old guard fights back and how they fight back tends to be pretty dirty. And I don't think that's changed one bit in the many, many, many decades since. Uh, you know, th- there is potential uh that that you know pat garrett shot billy the kid in the back um john dillinger was shot in the back um for it later to be ruled justifiable homicide yeah funny how that works out when the cops are writing that story um and bonnie and clyde are ambushed you know it's like these are these people aren't dying and aren't being killed in the process of committing yet another crime on their spree that they are basically ambushed and or shot in the back. Um, it is kind of funny, which I think only helps m- not really turn them into martyrs, but turn them more in the mythical characters yeah. than anything. Um, it's, it's the exact opposite. um, i don't know i don't know it's interesting because uh you know it's the the, it's weird how people kind of latch on to stuff like that and the one thing that is common among all of these stories is that when the establishment fought back against the the rabble rouser they kind of did so dirty dirty
2: yeah i mean we don't really have those kind of outlaws anymore though
1: no no. that are on the that are on the run and
2: from town to town, causing atrocities and like, sure. really, this was what the end of the Wild West. When Bonnie and Clyde were like, shortly after, I can't remember when we would classify the Wild West as having ended, but I'm guessing it's. I mean, it would it would probably. Yeah,
1: I mean, yeah. Then there was the the brief. You know, cropping up of new outlaws like Bonnie and Clyde and Dillinger and Floyd,
2: yeah, so I mean that was way more commonplace, but it's not we i think when we talked about um Billy the Kid, like we expected more honor to be there, yeah, not really justice necessarily, but honor right, and yeah, obviously, by the time Bonnie and Clyde are on there, their escapades. The idea of that kind of old honor, I think, was dead too. Right. So they're kind of different scenarios in my opinion, but I don't I don't know. Well, yeah, but just the way I, I see but, it, we weren't there.
1: Well, but, sure. I mean, and you are right, but I'm what I'm saying is is like the the aftermath of like you still kinda want to romanticize Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah, I mean John these Dillinger folks are and
2: these folks were all famous while they were on their escapades though. Sure. Billy the Kid was famous. Bonnie and Clyde were famous. Sure. So like there was public outcry for the way that they died. Now we have like the people that die this way are foreign um, you know, war criminals or sure. bunkers and shit, sure. like that people cheer on that death instead, right? Right. It's, yeah.
0: So here, here's yeah. something interesting. On the topic of Clyde's sexuality. So the character W the the real life W D Jones, who the CW character was based on well partly he was partly yeah he's an amalgam but um he he testified he confessed and it it kind of is what triggered a lot of the murder warrants i guess against the gang his testimony he was he was convicted of murdering a deputy but he um he made some testimony about um kind of the sexual aspect of the gang he what does it say i'd like to see i'd like to see if there's you can read his testimony because he said um some of the more lurid lies says lies that he told concerning the gang's sex lives and this testimony gave rise to many stories about barrow's ambiguous sexuality so He might have been like talking shit, right? He might have been telling the truth. Yeah, might be trying to like tarnish the name of of Clyde by by, you know, saying that he liked guys, who knows, right? But that's kind of where that came from. So that just wasn't conjured out of nowhere Hmm. by the writers of the movie.
2: I wonder if he was like left behind or like a sacrifice almost and was in a position where he'd be upset. With the Barrows at that point so for some reason. He had
0: left them six weeks um after they evaded officers um at Dexfield Park in July nineteen thirty-three. And he had he had left. So I don't know.
2: Interesting. It's interesting that they in the story of this movie. I think probably kind of just gave- I,
0: think, I think maybe he just saw that, that you know the writing was on the was wall coming. the writing was on the wall and was the first to confess and and they liked the stories he had to tell, so he just kept telling them right
2: yeah. it's just it's interesting that in this retelling of it, then they chose to give him a loyal yeah. ending yeah, that's very true that he does not deserve in reality right. interesting
1: well, it could be the the ending may be more the other guy. It yeah. could be, so, or
0: it could be, you know, they weren't sure lies, we. and there's more to the story, right?
1: Right. So, um, um, it also mentioned that uh, uh uh Clyde was repeatedly raped in prison. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh he crushed that guy's skull in retribution. Dang. Yeah, with a pipe.
0: <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's funny. I don't really I didn't really know much about them. Uh, I did watch oh. that movie. I did watch that movie, The Highwaymen a couple years ago on Netflix. Oh with, yeah, uh, Kevin Costner. It was it was told from the point of from view Hamer's
1: of, side, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, the guy who got the picture taken. With right. Yeah. Him.
0: yeah. Um, pretty interesting. Pretty interesting movie.
1: Um. Yeah. Actually, um, Clyde was never penalized for killing the guy. Uh, it was another inmate who was already serving a life sentence that took the responsibility for him. Hmm. Um, but anyway, no, I, I don't know. I mean, this is a, um, I, I think this is an interesting movie. I think it's a movie that probably has more of a historical importance now than it has a real, um, you know, standing where people our age or or people discovering it today would really like if you're you know i it would still be pretty darn good if like i said you're watching everything in the 60s because it's you know it's gonna it's gonna be a sharp turn from here with what's gonna happen afterwards but um you know and unless you're watching the history of film in chronological order (laughs) you're probably not gonna be overly wowed with this movie um i like it fine but it's it's a movie that i think um yeah it's just it has a more important place than its quality it's a perfect
0: movie to show in a film class yeah to then spark a 90 minute wow <laughs> or 15 or, or a 115 minute discussion like we've just had <laughs> about about its place in history and um the decisions that the the filmmakers were making Yeah, because there's definitely a lot of decision making here yep. yeah this would also intent, be a it's, good... it's, it's it's filmmaking with intent
1: yeah um i mean i think that there's a good i mean if you're building a class you know and it's it's modern cinema you know you could start with um You know, your first film of the year of the semester would be like Citizen Kane, you know, because of the of the technical elements that it that it came along with. And then you can have it, you know, move over to um, film noir and, you know, and get into like the French new wave and then hit this. And then after this, it's Godfather, probably, you know, so it's uh this would definitely be the uh, the the end of the first half of that semester. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, but, uh, I think we've done it. Yeah. Anything else um, to add here?
1: No. I mean, I would I would recommend checking this movie out if you're curious about film in general. Um if you're curious about technical stuff in film, yeah, I would say this is definitely one the to uh to check out because this this is shot very well um it's acted very well even if it is uneven at times but it's again you know i think that's a product of it not having it's a, a real plot i wonder if faye
0: dunaway and Warren beatty were nervous about those squib hits that hadn't <laughs> really ever been done before i'd be i'd be a little nerve-wracking
1: yeah yeah probably <laughs> All right. Well, what do you um, got next week, Jeff? Well, next week go to FilmSeizure.com. You know, follow us on the various places like, you know, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, but uh next, next week's Wednesday.
2: The Fisher King.
1: That is absolutely correct. So uh that is some some Jeff Bridges, Robin Williams, Terry Gilliam, goodness. Yep.
2: We go on a, um, another search for the Holy Grail with Terry Gilliam.
1: Well, we've already gone on one with Excalibur. I think that ended fairly soon. That one just didn't go. We just didn't go with Terry on that one. Yeah. No, we we were we with Terry Gilliam on that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah. So Fisher King next Wednesday uh, morning, filmseizure.com. Check uh, those things out. Um, also a filmseizure.com on Monday of next week. Is my next, uh, episode of Monster Mondays, Frogs, starring a very young Sam Elliott. Very, oh. uh, I actually kind of like this movie. It gets blasted. I think it's actually a pretty decent little man versus nature kind of monster movie. So, uh, check that out. Same places, uh, that I had mentioned, filmseizure.com. Uh, this upcoming, um, this upcoming Friday at my website, com, I have a review of graduation day. Fun little nice. slasher. So check that out at my site. But, uh, but yeah, uh, Fisher King next week. We, uh, apparently we're spending a lot of time in 1991, 1992 era lately. And that's, that's quite all right by me. I like that. <laughs> I have a feeling I have more to say about 1991. Uh, the following week when we have our next discussion episode. But we'll learn more about that next week when we finish things up with the Fisher King. Until next week, I am Jeff Arbuckle. I'm Chuck Moore. I am Jason Oliver, and you have been listening
0: to Film Seizure.